as an adventurer, we want to push ourselves. It's super important to push through barriers. And so fear is something that elevates our awareness, but the actions that we take then, then help us manage the risk. Whereas if it's an intuition, then if we can discern that it's an intuition, then we can say, well, this isn't for me, right? And just that statement is really important. Welcome to the Intuitively Aligned Podcast, a place for changemakers to cultivate their intuition and foster greater impact in their everyday lives. I am your guide, Sydney Bloom. Hi, friends. Welcome to today's episode. We have a very special guest today, Ken Wiley. Ken has been a lifelong adventurer. His journeys compel him to go deeper, to face himself, and through that awareness to find his greatest strength. Ken is certified internationally as a mountain guide with the International Federation of Mountain Guide Associations. Ken is a leading human hazard management innovator. Through his business, Archetypal, his work is to help people understand how they are showing up to critical decision-making processes, to recognize decisions that originate from shadow, and to elevate actions to a higher place. Ken has observed that the journey of adventure, when practiced well, is a path to wholeness. He has climbed rock and ice, backcountry skied, and alpine climbed extensively in his life. Ken has held faculty positions at Thompson Rivers University and Mount Royal University in their respective outdoor programs. But most importantly, Ken is the author of Buried, which metabolizes and makes meaning of these adventures as he chronicles his journey through terrible tragedy to heal through the power of authenticity and wholeness. In today's episode, you are going to hear some of Ken's story and how he has found not just healing, but also intuitive alignment. And I'm so, so excited to share this conversation with you. Ken, thank you so much for coming on the Intuitively Aligned podcast. Oh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Your podcast is a really important sharing in the world. And, and these conversations help us understand the notion of intuition so much better. So thank you. It's my pleasure. And I do really sense that this will bring, I think for our listeners, a very different perspective into intuition. So I am super excited that you're here. I like to begin by asking our guests if they can share a little bit about who they are, where they're from, and who their people are. Yeah, I'm a person who has spent their their lifetime in the mountains, even as a small kid growing up on 43rd Street in Calgary, Alberta. Mm -hmm. I felt the pull to the west. I have an older brother, Daryl, who took me to the mountains when I was seven on a wintertime cross-country ski trip to Banff. That was the start. And my leanings have been traveling on the landscape in the mountains. I guess my definition of an adventurer in my 20s was somebody who ice climbed or rock climbed. But now anybody who might be an artist who in their 70s or 80s has their first show. Mm. and puts their work out in the world as an offering. You know, that's as, as much of a vulnerability as anything. People with the adventurous spirit are my people. Oh, I love that. Can you talk a little bit about how you first discovered your own intuition? Well, I, I actually think that, you know, going back to the Christmas morning in 1972, when, you know, my older brother gave a gift of going to, to Nordic ski in Banff, I think that was probably the first time that I felt this opening is for me. And I know 100% that this is the direction that I need to go. For me, there was no hesitation. It, it was just 100%. This is in alignment with who I am as a human being. And I've never recognized that until you asked the question, you know, what was the first entry point into recognizing my intuition and just that feeling of this is right and this is so exciting and then also watching how Daryl 
engaged with the landscape. I think that he was also modeling an intuitive process. It was very much an opening, like his posture was an opening to the landscape, to nature, to the whole thing beyond words. And witnessing that process was transformational for me and showing me beyond words, beyond telling, but just showing me that there's this process that we engage with when we're in these environments. What an incredible intuitive activation. From what I see, working with lots of different people, having that kind of a moment very early on then gives you a setting of knowing what alignment feels like. There are a lot of people who maybe don't have those moments of recognition and then spend so many years trying to find it by clearing out the junk that's blocking it, which maybe on some level we all have to do that. But that that moment is so clear for you now says so much about that experience and about what can be brought forward. Mm-hmm. How did that evolve as you grew older? Yeah, skiing was the entry point for sure. Summers were painful as a youth because I wanted to be on the snow. And then on the east slope of the Canadian Rockies, just west of Calgary, there's a a summer camp, a YMCA summer camp that in 1983, I, I started working for. And that was another portal into this world of adventure. The YMCA camps do an incredible service in our society, chiefly because they help engage youth in traveling on the landscape, which I think is pretty much a sacred journey to help connect people to traveling on the landscape and being competent while traveling on the landscape. And that whole process, especially if we're traveling on the landscape off trail and we're navigating, Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a, a living, breathing, moving interaction with intuition. Shortly after working at the Y camp in on the East slope of the Rockies, I landed a job at Outward Bound on the west coast of the United States. The school at the time was called Pacific Crest Outward Bound School. They operated in Washington and Oregon and California. And I was fortunate because they were short of staff and they brought me down on a J-1 visa. And and I was meant to just work two courses, a 14-day and a a couple of 14 days, I think it was. And they extended my visa to work in Joshua Tree for that winter. Oh, and, wow. And so I spent eight months running programs in the in the high desert of the high Mojave Desert of Joshua Tree. At the time, it was Joshua Tree National Monument. And, and that's a very different environment, too, from the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember driving into Joshua Tree and the base camp there at Outward Bound it was this funky old place called the Borman Estate. And it was like this old artist's place that the school was renting. And, and waking up, you know, kind of driving in in the dark and kind of seeing these ghostly Joshua trees. And, but then waking up and, and wondering, wow, how am I going to spend eight months here? Mm. <laughs> but what happened was, it was probably part of my education in, in sensitivity because, you know, on first impressions, the desert is dead, but it's actually more alive than many of the landscapes that I've traveled. And the plants and the animals have these adaptations that are just so incredible. And so it was a dojo in sensitivity, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like pay attention to life where you see it. I can imagine it would have been quite striking in terms of being in this completely different physical environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gifts of, of the desert are the long views. Like you always have this long 50 mile long view over the landscape. And that's, you know, those those views are incredible. But at the same time, there's kangaroo rats who are so well adapted to such little water that they they pee dust and oh my gosh 
their, their kidneys reclaim water so efficiently that they just pee dust. <laughs> That's wild. I did not know that. How would you say that your own intuition evolved from there? You mentioned clutter earlier, and I think that different periods of our lives can be a little bit like the moon cycle where, you know, intuition, we experience lots of light and, you know, the full moon where we can sense things really well. And then for whatever reason, it wanes. And I find myself on this different path where my values shift. I lost the sensitivity that I had in, in other periods of my life. And so... There was a period in my life where I was ice climbing a lot and, and it was really important to me to, you know, climb really hard. I even competed in, you know, some competitions. And I would have to say that during those periods, that kind of egoic part of me took over. And what that meant was that this sensitivity to this really beautiful gift of intuition waned in some mm. respects. And chiefly because I think I tricked myself into believing that I'm in control. Right. And that can happen, you know, kind of with technical exploits, right? Like, you know, yes. I found I was so engaged with the technical process of climbing that it became, you know, life became more mechanical and kind of cause effect. And, mm -hmm. and so I wouldn't say that for me, it's been a, a linear process and that waxing and waning of this intuitive sensitivity came at a cost, came at a real cost. And, and there were some pretty harsh slaps and awakenings because I, I allowed myself to abandon these really powerful aspects of life that are really guiding us. Do you want to share more about that? Yeah, absolutely. In 2003, I was involved in an avalanche tragedy where 13 of us were buried and six of us only survived. So there were seven fatalities. And what's really interesting about that whole experience was that it was, it was a schooling. It was a profound schooling in intuition. And the reason why I say that is that the tragedy happened in January, January 20th, 2003. But back in July, the summer before, mm -hmm. I knew it was a bad choice to go work where I went to work. As soon as the job was offered and I noticed myself saying yes, I knew that it was wrong. How did you feel that? How did you sense it? It was a visceral dread. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was dreading going to work five months later. Wow. And I would actually say that the shadow side of intuition, this beautiful gift of intuition, the shadow side of it is intellectualizing. Mm -hmm. And so I intellectualized all of it, right? Like, this would be good for me. You know, yes, I'm, yeah. I'm afraid to go work there, but it's going to push me. And I would now discern a real difference between fear and intuition. Can you describe that? Yeah, you know, fear, when I'm afraid to do something mm -hmm. and I have a conversation with a partner or, you know, or somebody about how we're going to manage the risk, mm -hmm. then I feel better. And so what's really interesting as, you know, as an adventure educator, I, and I wish I knew this in my 20s, because, because it's a really important piece in, in helping people kind of through the process of facing their fears, mm -hmm. because that's a really important thing to do in a life. And, and so we want to push through our fears and fear when we do have a conversation about, well, how are we going to manage this so that we can do this thing and we have a measure of comfort, even though there's this fear, when those conversations actually help, mm -hmm. we, feel, we feel supported and we feel like, okay, with these conditions or with these actions, this is fine. Mm 
then what happens is, is that fear serves us in that we pay attention enough that we manage the risk and then right. we, can, we can enter into the situation. And so fear serves us in that we elevate our game, we enter into it, we have a good experience. And then we then expand. We expand our, our ability to do things because we transcend this fear response. And I think that that's a really healthy process. Right. Whereas if it's an intuition, no amount of talking, no amount of intellectualizing actually makes us feel better. If there's something inside us that's saying, don't do this, right? then that message, don't do this, it never goes away with any amount of trying to mitigate the, the hazards. It's just a steady knowing that this is not for me. Can you describe then how intuition can help in hazard management? Oh, absolutely. Given what you're saying, because I think this is such a nuanced distinction. Yeah, it's, well, intuition is not necessarily an emotion. We might feel it as an emotion, but it, at its core, it's not an emotion, it's a knowing. Right. And so that first piece is really important in terms of managing hazards, because as an adventurer, we want to push ourselves. Like it's super important to push through barriers. Mm -hmm. and, and so fear is, is something that elevates our awareness. So it serves us in elevating our awareness, but the actions that we take then, then help us manage the risk. Whereas if it's an intuition, then then if we can discern that it's an intuition, then we can say, well, this isn't for me, right? And, and, yeah. and just that statement, just that statement is really important. And then if our friends still push us, how we will feel is we will feel that they don't see us, that they don't respect, right? And sometimes I think what happens is that there's this whole culture of, well, you have to push, you have to push through. Well, yeah. that's part of it. If, if you're dealing with fear, then that is definitely something you want to do. But if it's an intuition, then what we need is just respect. It's respect for the discernment that you're exercising. Yeah. And, you know, in, in choosing adventure partners, you want somebody who's going to be able to discern the difference between pushing you because they see that you've got to, you know, overcome this fear that you've got mm -hmm. and, and recognizing when it's an intuition. And that's really important. I remember, you know, driving for three hours to go climb this ice climb with Keith Habrell many decades ago. And we get to the parking lot and we're looking up at this climb. I just said, sorry, Keith, it's just not on today. He says, okay. Mm. So we, we went to Banff and bought popcorn and watched the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at that point, you were integrated, you were experiencing trust in your knowing in that way that it wasn't even a question. I'm curious to go back to that feeling of dread that you were having, you know, in the summer of 2002, looking ahead to January 2003. Were you at that time perceiving your intuition the dread that you were experiencing as fear yeah i was perceiving my inner knowing as fear oh you're just mm -hmm. afraid of working with this person you're just afraid of actually being seen and i was on my last apprenticeship to become an internationally certified guide and mm -hmm. and so i made the error of perceiving that this intuition that i was having I mistook it for fear and I treated it like it was something that I needed to transcend, but, okay. but it was, it was deep. It was, it was a deep, deep knowing that this is not for me. And it, what was interesting, it was that I went through a process of asking everybody, mm -hmm should I go work here? And everyone said no. 
Really? Yeah. Everyone I talked to said, no, don't go there. And, and so for some reason, I was really stuck on, this is a fear. This is something that I'm afraid of and I need to face it. Like you needed to prove yourself. Yeah. Or, or prove to yourself that you could do it even if you were afraid. And it was a, it was a big mistake. It was a really big mistake. And so a big schooling in, in the difference between a fear-based experience where the hazards are manageable and the feeling changes when we manage the hazards. Mm -hmm. This is an intuition and nothing's changing about how I feel about this. After the avalanche, how did you then cope with the tragedy that happened? And did you have to go through a healing process with your own inner knowing as a part of that? Absolutely. Waking up or being slapped across the face after being dug out uh -huh. and, and waking up, I, I still see that as metaphor, right? Like. Mm -hmm like a slap across the face and being told to wake up. Like, yes, it happened in reality, mm -hmm. but it was a powerful metaphor, like wake up and really difficult because yeah, surviving was this double-edged sword, right? Like all my friends and family were really, you know, they had a different experience of me surviving they were all happy like this is a, an amazing thing that you survived and you know in the early days i wasn't there and i felt like well yeah you know i should be happy that i survived but my decisions led to you know three people of the seven three that were in my group they lost their lives and so there's this there's this thing that's called second victim syndrome and it was originally kind of highlighted in the medical community where, you know, a doctor or a nurse makes a, an error that results in a fatality. And the weight of that is really, can be really debilitating. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really easy to make light of it, right? Like, oh, well, you know, you survived and yeah, the situation was big. But the whole knowing that, wow, you know, like I knew that this was wrong way back in July. And I let this happen. Really powerful lesson. And, and interestingly, post-incident, I was being asked to step up. Like, you need to talk about this. But I chose to kind of follow the directives from my community. I don't perceive that there's very much wisdom in the legal system because it essentially asks us to be inhumane after an event like this. And intuitively i you know i sense that this is this is a big thing and you're going to have to step up at some point yeah. and 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 speak about this and it was, what it was, was that a, journey like for you it was long and arduous <laughs> but eventually i i also perceived that illness for me was connected to not following the direction from source. And so intuitively, I, I knew that I needed to write or you know, do something with this experience that I had. Yeah. But it took me about five years to start. But by I, that time, I was ill. I was really ill. Can you talk a little bit about the illness? This is something that I actually just talked about on the podcast for the first time recently, because my chronic migraines directly related to inner work that I had not done and then mm -hmm. resolved it by finally starting to say no and create boundaries. So I, I'm very interested to hear the way that illness was showing up in your body and how you transform that. Well, it's interesting. I think that our medical system is really Newtonian where we collectively, we look at the body as the machine you know, you can replace the parts, you can take this medication to deal with the symptoms of this thing. But 
in truth, we're energetic beings. And so if there's an energy, if there's something that has an energy to it that we're not addressing, mm-hmm. then, then it shows up in the body. And the real big powerful thing was I had this frozen right shoulder. Okay. And, and a friend of mine who studied shamanism, he mm. said to it was actually Laurie Skreslet, the first Canadian to summit Mount Everest. <laughs> wow. Said, I said, yes, Laurie, I'm kind of struggling with this frozen right shoulder. He goes, right shoulder? I said, yeah. He goes, that's the masculine side. You're not sharing your wisdom with the world. Mm. And he actually kind of poked me in the chest. <laughs> wow. And, and so there's this whole journey of, okay, I need to do this. And all this clutter and noise, I needed to stop it all. I needed to quit work. I needed to, you know, sell the house and just have the resources to stop. And so I did. I stopped. Mm -hmm. I stopped everything. Sorry, had you been under a non-disclosure type of agreement or something? You mentioned the legal system earlier. Well, yeah, you know, the lawyers post-incident said, you know, don't speak to anybody. Don't speak to your your wife. What? And, and how do you do that, right? Like, like that's, it's just an impossible thing. Yeah, that is an inhuman requirement that they would ask you to do that. Yeah, and, and what's interesting is that the statute of limitations is two years. So you're supposed to be quiet for two years, and then you're supposedly allowed to speak about and write about and you know all of that. But what's interesting is that that becomes the guiding principle for kind of tragic or perhaps events that are really kind of profound that happen in in different industries or communities you get in the habit of staying silent over those two years and then it becomes just the way and that's profoundly unhealthy it's profoundly unhealthy and so it was manifesting in health issues you know i had this frozen shoulder i had joint pain i had you know low back pain and I sat down and I started writing. Mm-hmm. I listened to the little voice in the background. Finally, you need to write about this. Yeah. And I sat down and I wrote myself back to health. And, wow. and the writing was a battle because what I needed, even though I was an apprentice guide, it was really easy for me to attach to this idea that, well, you were an apprentice, you were just following, you didn't you know, play a role in this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a narrative. We all make choices. We are all the, the masters of our own fate. And so the writing wasn't working at times because I might've been writing about a projection on other people and right. I, needed, I needed to make it about me. I needed to make it about my journey about what role I played. And, and that, was, that was guided by intuition, right? Like the whole intuitive process, I was really fortunate to recognize that these health issues I have are directly related to this event and I'm not processing it. I need to kind of drop down and, and go on the journey of discovering what the true narrative is. Yeah. And, the, and the true narrative was, I failed to listen to my own better judgment, my own intuition, the gift, the sacred gift that was knocking on the door. And I intellectualized my way out of it. And Which then becomes its own slippery slope too. We go against our intuition and give our power to someone else or to a circumstance. Once we give that away in that first decision, then from that place of shadow power, we can so easily put responsibility on others. Yes. Yes. And it's really difficult to put words to because from a Newtonian standpoint, we like to be able to understand everything. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't really understand that much about quantum physics, but intuition is in the quantum world. It's in this energetic experience. And Mm -hmm. and to, to honor the energetic experience, is really, really important. And, and the more we can kind of create synapses with, 
you know, kind of this larger guiding spirit, mm-hmm. the better off we'll be in terms of not only managing our lives, but managing especially high, high potential consequence situations or adventures or risk. And that piece is really important. And that's one of the reasons why I really think that to engage in situations that are uncertain, mm-hmm. I think that that's probably some of the most important work we could be doing right now to recreate in adventurous settings or push ourselves into kind of unknown situations. I think that that's a really important exercise in sensing this this gift of intuition that is is all around. Carl Jung would say that in you know he uses the word primitive environments but really in uncertain environments intuition serves us because it actually helps us navigate this profound uncertainty and probably more than at any point in history people aren't truly connected with this gift of intuition we need to find our way back there i feel like part of intuition is stepping into a relationship stepping into a practice where we invite this awareness in all the time. So then when we need it in an urgent situation or in a major life decision, we're not asking ourselves to call on something that isn't a known relationship mm-hmm. or isn't a space that we are familiar with inhabiting. And I feel like so often, certainly the way the media portrays intuition, there is a sort of superstitiousness about it or it's been intentionally framed and constructed as something outside of us that we should be afraid of. And so people don't even learn to recognize that this is an inherent part of their own being and their own expanded resources, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, expanded resources. What a great way of articulating it because it is a resource to us. But it it can't be a resource unless we know it to be true. Yes, you have to know it to be true and have spent time being with it and experimenting and we need to play with it. And I mean, in the context that you're describing of navigating, right, exploring in nature and, and being on these adventures, there's a practice to it. Exactly. And we experience challenges in life so that we hopefully gain sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And, and that sensitivity can really serve us, especially when navigating a perilous situation. And you mentioned the word practice. And I think that we've lost our way in, in using intuition effectively because we don't have solitude. We don't make a practice of being silent in our society we're you know we're mock 20 from from morning until night and you know as a mountain guide i i perceive that you know one of the things that has served me most is if i'm in a in a backcountry hut and we're you know we're, we're about to plan our day if i can take my morning coffee and step out to a a quiet space and get away from kind of the noise of the group and just stand there with my coffee and, and just turn the receiver on, right? Like what are we being invited to do today and receive that invitation? And like, we might have an intellectual plan for the day and maybe, and often, well, you know, I just stepped out there and it doesn't seem like the plan that we had is going to work. And, you know, in our, in our society, you then have to kind of translate it into an intellectual process so that people can understand it. But what's interesting from a First Nations standpoint, I think that people who have traditions of being on the landscape and, and also a tradition of just being able to say, well, today's not a good day, even though it's like... Mm-hmm all the extrinsic, you know, the weather's good, the sun's shining, all of that might seem like it's in alignment for what we desire, but it might not be the right day. Yeah. 
and just being okay with that. That whole process of discernment is the single most important reason to go to wild landscapes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, they're beautiful. Yes, they're awe-inspiring. But they're sentient. These wild landscapes, they're sentient and they communicate with us. And opening those channels of communication with these wild landscapes, that whole learning that whole process, we we no longer feel alone. Mm-hmm. It's interesting thinking about this in the context of the life that you live and your mission and path in what you what you're creating versus somebody who may one time in their life come on a guided adventure with you and receive that sensing and that opportunity to practice into discernment and return home with a completely different outlook in how they approach everything. Yeah, it's holding space for a process. That's it. I guess what we're talking about is something that as a one-off experience can be that catalytic transformational experience. Yes. And that's great. That actually is transformational for where that individual or that group returns home to and lives out their deepened awareness. And to me, it just feels like that invitation is always there to be going back into nature to be sensing and discerning around the conditions whether you're me with my young children stepping outside and feeling the environment and deciding should we go to you know this is the chapter of young family life right of what kind of gear do we need and should we go to a playground or go for a walk or maybe this is a time that we'll stay close to home for whatever reason versus being in more extreme environments. I just feel like the invitation stands for everyone, no matter what degree of adventure you perceive yourself to be on. Well, and you brought up something really important in, in the intuitive process. When you, when you painted the picture of making decisions for your family, Mm-hmm. Um, the intuitive process is what's happening with me. Yes. What's happening with these other beings that I'm traveling with, my children or even even my dog? What's happening yeah. for them? And intuiting or or tuning into what their needs are and what their energy is and how they're showing up for this particular day. And then there's like the third level of, what is actually happening in the environment and how is the environment showing up into this and and what is the environment you know saying to me like what's happening and so then from a risk management standpoint we're covering all of our bases and we might even add what am i intuiting about the equipment so a pilot you know when they do their pre-flight check yes they're looking at the mechanics but there's also kind of an intuitive process of what's this aircraft saying to me and, and it, you know, and some people might, you know, scoff at that, but, but what's really fascinating to me, I've always thought, found this really interesting. My vehicle always runs better when it's cleaned. Even these kind of mechanical things that we create, they have a life to them as well. And it's more than mechanics. It's a whole system. And so these mechanical things that we have in our lives, they actually speak to us as well in some, in some way. And a good mechanic is really tuned into what the vehicle is saying to them. And you might be able to discern that, well, you know, it's all, it's all tacit. It's all things that the mechanic learns. That might be true. That's part of it. But there's something more there too. And so this whole process of, What's happening with me? What's happening with the people? You know, in your case, your kids. And then what's happening with the environment? And how do we piece all this together so that we end up with a day that not only honors kind of what the day is asking, Mm -hmm. but 
honors our interaction with that. This is not a new skill set, but our society has not valued it highly and not recognized it even when it has been a force or a currency for transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's an important skill set for moving forward from where we're at. Can I jump way, way back for a second? Yeah. You had described the feeling of dread that you had in 2002 and how everybody had said to you, don't do it when you had asked for input. And then we were talking about the brutal awakening afterwards, after the avalanche. In the moments before it happened, did you have any intuitions then? My intuition was screaming at me. And what's really fascinating is that I just intellectualized my way into catastrophe. And so the best way I can describe it is that there was an energy that was so profound that you could cut it with a knife. And I wasn't the only one that experienced it. Vern, the man behind me, he just said, I don't like this situation. And then he gave specific reasons, but I also perceived that he was experiencing an intuition. And then Charles Beeler, he, he just went into run mode. And we were skinning up the mountain. And we're in two groups, but basically, a, you know, a large group of 20 plus. And Charles just started running uphill and he passed a couple of people. And then the avalanche broke at the tails of his skis. Mm. And so the the whole situation was just kind of buzzing with this, you know, many, many of the people involved were sensing that this was, we're headed for catastrophe here. And what's really interesting is that the, the lead guide, I don't perceive sensed anything. And so what's really interesting it speaks to this idea that sometimes we're gifted with this really powerful intuition and sometimes we're not. And what it asks of us is to listen, to listen to the people that we're with. But we live in a culture that so easily discounts, so easily kind of, well, what's your evidence for this? Right? Right. You know, the classic one was, the really classic one was Bob Ebling. The night before the space shuttle Challenger exploded, he was warning NASA. He was an engineer that worked for Morton Thiokol, and they produced the solid rocket boosters for the space shuttle going into space. And he said, you know, we've got really cold temperatures. And basically, he kind of gave it in engineering terms, right? He said, you know, we've got really cold temperatures We've seen issues with the solid rocket boosters when we launch at 50 degrees or 54 degrees. And that's kind of the launch envelope. But he just knew it was going to blow, right? Like he said Mm -hmm. to his wife wife and his daughter, shuttle's going to blow today. He wasn't able to convince the NASA officials not to launch. Wow. And they wanted him to come up with the data to prove, right? Like we're not allowed to use our kind of hunches anymore. I've been starting to really dig into some of the more academic literature and the business literature as well around intuition and some of the evidence behind it. And everything says, if you use a combination of your expertise, your logical practice, what you've spent, you know, for those who have had the time to spend thousands of hours or 40,000 hours plus those people's intuition in their area of expertise is extremely high. Mm -hmm. And that he would be saying that from a place of both knowing logically, rationally, scientifically, when you put this at this temperature, it doesn't work, but then to be, to be sharing it in the visceral knowing Mm -hmm. of his, of his animal creature self, you know, to say this won't work. I mean, it's just brutal. Yeah, you know, that's that's a really important discernment is to bring all of the things that we we have into the solving of a, a particular challenge, I think is incredibly important. And to bring our years of experience, 
to bring academic processes, you know, all of our years of experience kind of give us this beyond our ability to describe. But then intuition kind of transcends all of those different things. I perceive, and I may be wrong, this is an important part of the discussion, I perceive that intuition exists in a place beyond experience, where Mm -hmm. you experience, you know, in working with your children, you probably notice that they have intuitions about things that they have no experience with. And yes, absolutely. Yes. And, and that's really important. And the reason why I think that's important is that we tend to, to kind of defer to hierarchies. Mm -hmm. And when we defer to hierarchies, then we might be vulnerable to leader hubris. Yes. Where the leader just wants to do it because it's going to look good for them. But we within silence the you know kind of intuitive or the empath that's in the group that you know has a different sense of what's happening. One of the one of the great brilliances of Gene Roddenberry's work, you know, he's he's the the creator of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. In Star Trek: The Next Generation, they have a character who's an empath and sits right next to the captain right i forget Mm -hmm. i forget her name in the series but what a thing hey like yeah and and to honor the empaths was just a stroke of genius it's a great example and imagine how much more success leaders would have if they truly were tapping into their own intuition, but then to also have those people who, as you were describing in your own experience too, right, that some people are sensing something and that is very valuable information for navigating. Mm -hmm. Profound information for navigating. And, And how it's portrayed in the series is that she just has a really profound sensitivity to the energy. And it's not called woo. It's not labeled something as bad. And what's interesting is that this is science fiction. And this is kind of a portrayal of a, a future that we might hope for. Mm-hmm. And, and so in that, I think that there's like incredible brilliance because your intuition is kind of akin to creativity. And how we're going to discern ourselves as different from AI is through intuition and creativity, right? Like those human gifts that AI will likely never have. And so we have this fear of AI because we have the sense that we can be so easily replaced. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't see it that way. I see that we have gifts that are so far beyond anything that artificial intelligence will be able to mimic as long as people stay with the practice or come into the practice yes because i feel like the the temptation into technological hypnosis is real this is such an important invitation from our conversation for people to step into relationship and practice with their intuition and work with it every day call it in I love that you said that you know it's not about creating separation or woo-woo or something that's this otherly construct Mm -hmm. as much as inhabiting our expansive being this being that we're in right now yeah one of the things that you addressed in your podcast with Larissa was the this idea that that these gifts have been under assault for a really long time. And yeah. I, I think that I think that they still are. Agreed. Um, if I look at modern definitions of intuition, I see some definitions kind of treading on the, the terrain of more tacit knowledge, where you know, when we practice a skill 
a lot, then we don't have to think about it. And so then we're doing it intuitively. And to me, that's let's define that as tacit knowledge. And that's a really important skill to develop. And yes, we become masters when we when we have unconscious competence in a skill. Mm-hmm. But that unconscious competence, that's something that's really different than the sacred intuition. It's unconscious competence. Like I don't have to think about this because I'm really competent at it. And, you know, and I think that that's what Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his book, Blink, is really he's describing tacit knowledge. This, you know, these artists or these art dealers are able to tell the difference between something that's real and something that's fake. Yes. Through years and, well, it might be a combination of both, like years of having this tacit knowledge. But also from an intuitive side, being able to kind of pick up the energy of a piece, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pick up the energy off the piece. You know, there's an energy when somebody copies something that's transferred to the art. And basically what they're doing is there's a deception. And so a great art dealer might actually be able to pick up on the, from an intuitive way, pick up on the deception in the art. Yeah, at like more of a sensory energetic level. Yes. I think the challenge for us as adults then becomes, okay, so we have all of these experiences. We have all of these data points from life, from our training, from our practice. And we do have some animal instincts and we do have hopefully some of that tacit knowing. And then on top of that, if we can step into our grounded, clear, most sensing and aware way of being, which probably is ever evolving, for me, it certainly is, then what could we do from that place? Oh, man. Yeah, that's incredible, right? Like all of it is there. And and so, you know, what is there to be afraid of, of actually embodying all of that? power yeah like being able to discern whether we're being deceived or not like what a powerful thing for for members of a society and so needed Mm -hmm. and in every level of our lives to be able to be present and knowing and i mean the fun thing and it kind of breaks my heart that we're that we're almost past our time now and we're gonna have to wrap up soon but I think one of the things that's been really fun on my own intuitive journey is one, I recognize and I I hold very, very sacred the different ways that people tap into their intuition. That's why we have this podcast. It's a celebration of all of the different ways of knowing in the hopes that listeners feel or recognize some of their own knowing by listening that they can celebrate and practice and be in relationship with it themselves. But also on a personal level, I feel like I just continue to have these really interesting intuitive experiences. And it's not without, as you were saying earlier, times of it being a louder voice and times of it being a bit quiet when, you know, very urgent things are happening in our physical lives. We all go through cycles it's kind of like a wavelength right Mm -hmm. but when these things continue to happen when our inner knowing shows up in sort of shocking or fun or magnificent ways it's not just hard to deny it's like why wouldn't you choose to live with that as a gift in your life Mm -hmm. and so it's been fun because even things like I I get messages through license plates. And I remember when years ago, somebody had said to me, oh, I get messages from the angels on license plates. And I thought, how could that even happen? <laughs> like, I remember rationally thinking about it at the time. And this must have been like 20 years ago. And I was thinking, I don't even think that's possible because the requirements of numbers and letters could not let it be so. And then literally a week ago, I was, we were driving to the beaches in Toronto with our kids and with our dog. And I was talking about something about the podcast. I was basically saying, 
this is the right place to be putting my energy. And I'm not even kidding you. We park the car and I look across the street and the license plate just says podcast. You're kidding. No. And these things happen. It happens all the time now with license plates. And it's just playful. It's playful. Like for me, playful. Or I had a client where we were one day we were talking about tuning your chakras. And I was saying to her, apparently the song Doa Deer tunes all of your energy centers. Of course it does. Right. Of course it does. And, and we'd been talking about this and then literally I got in the car 15 minutes after that call and passed a vehicle with a plate that said, do re me, (laughs) like on the license plate, (laughs) but these things happen and it's so playful. And I believe that the more we move from a place of skeptical or a place of being in our ego or of feeling unseen in our leadership and needing to prove it even more, which maybe that's again, ego, the more we can just allow ourselves to receive and be open, the more beautiful it becomes, even in grief, even in loss, even in pain. Yes. Yeah. You know, you're describing being guided and affirmed. And I feel it in my heart and I'm not a religious person and I'm not a preachy person. I just share from my own experience and as honestly as I can, you know, which I feel with you too. Like you're here sharing this experience that you had that was so transformative and then the life that has followed. Mm -hmm. And it shows up in infinite ways. And that's, that's the thing that, that makes it different than religion is that it's not a story. It's infinite stories. Like Mm -hmm. we all get to experience being guided by this thing called intuition in infinite ways you know be it license plate be it you know music i want to finish with a story from nature which i perceive to be a really powerful story there's this bird it's in the thrush family and it's called the viri and and it nests in ontario okay and And what's really amazing is that there was a researcher who was studying these birds. And and this researcher noticed that on some years, these birds would not lay eggs and they would just take off and they'd leave. Mm. They would leave Canada early and they'd fly to South America. And on those years, there was a bad hurricane season. Wow. So they'd leave Canada early. Mm-hmm. In order to get to South America before the hurricane season. Now, incredible. And, and just watching those birds is a more accurate predictor than any of our computing. Of course. And to me, that's, that's a really great example of, and you, know, you, might, you might want to try and deconstruct it in a way while maybe they're sensing a pressure or maybe, you know, well, maybe but maybe they're tuned into something. Maybe they're tuned into the collective consciousness and and maybe both, right? Maybe both. And whatever it is, they're not having conversations, rationalizing it or trying to explain it. They are sensing and they are acting. Yeah. They're not second guessing themselves and hanging around to debate about, you know, mating and the weather. Yes. Yeah, and you know, I had two friends, Leanne Ellison and Karsten Hoyer, and they they had this project where they wanted to follow the porcupine herd, the caribou herd, to the calving mm-hmm. grounds. And when they first got there, they were they'd wake up in the morning and the caribou were gone. And so then they would would spend the day kind of scrambling and tracking them and 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 it was really stressful. And and it was a six-month journey. And by the end, for some reason, they would just wake up in the middle of the night and they'd start packing up. Wow. And they just knew the caribou were going to leave. And so they just packed up and they went with them. They were in that place or moving through that place long enough to integrate with the energy of the herd. That's it. How incredible. 
incredible. I don't like the word incredible because it implies that it's not believable, but how marvelous, <laughs> how marvelous. <laughs> how marvelous is that? Ken, this has been such a pleasure. Well, the work you're doing, Sydney, is so important. And at this time in history, we've, we've got to reconnect with our true selves. And our true selves are linked to these gifts that we have that have been on the back burner. And to find our way and navigate our way back to them is really important. To our audience, I want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe, share, or click the notification button on your podcast platform. For those listening on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful for a five-star rating and a written review. This will also make it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you want to connect with me more, please join me on Substack. I will be posting longer-form written pieces about my intuitive changemaker journey, as well as bonus audio content and having online discussions with the Intuitively Aligned podcast community. You can also find me through Instagram at Sydney Rebecca. Yes, that's Sydney Rebecca without an A on the end. Or through my website, www.sydneybloom.com. I also want to give a shout out to our podcast producer, Wilson Lynn. And I want to thank you again for joining me on this journey. I can't wait for you to hear the next episode.